0: everyone and welcome to the health and wellness show today is friday september the 28th 2018 i'm your host tiffany and joining me in our virtual studio from all over the planet we have doug erica and elliot
1: good morning hello hello good morning i just realized it's not morning here (laughs) where i am
0: it's morning here and i'm the host so we're saying good morning (laughs) so uh gabby and jonathan are off today but they should be back sometime soon so our topic for today is exercise exercise (laughs) smexercise what the hell are we running from So, just as an introduction, uh, approximately 10% of Americans claim to be regular runners. That seems like a stretch to me, but that's what (laughs) they say. So, um, almost 60 million Americans belong to a gym and about $19 billion a year are spent on gym membership fees. There's yoga classes, aerobics, spinning, CrossFit, hiking clubs, sports leagues, bowling leagues. So it would seem like as a country that we're in pretty good shape and we're fit, but we're not. We're more obese and sicker than ever. More people have diabetes type 2 than ever, even kids. So we've heard a lot about how exercise is fantastic to get you into shape, to help you lose weight. You can get a six-pack. You can have great health and boundless energy, and everyone just says exercise and move more and everything will be okay, but that hasn't proven to be the case. So we're gonna talk about exercise during our show today, the benefits and the detriments and the misconceptions and the myths. So where do we wanna start?
2: At the beginning. Maybe we can start with the fact that you included bowling in that original thing. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Like, Not what bowling. is How can we define exercise? I I don't know. Well, if some I would people throw would say
0: that bowling is exercise. <laughs> <laughs> so is table tennis, ping pong. I, I think that's part of the problem because some people define exercise as anything that involves your body moving.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well. Looking on Wikipedia here, it says that exercise is any bodily activity that enhances or maintains physical fitness and overall overall health and wellness. Hmm. And I don't know, like, have you seen some of the guys, like the professional bowlers? I don't know if you can really look at them and be like, yep, that dude is in peak physical condition.
0: (laughs) Yeah, like even some of the golfers, they're kind of a little... Pudgy too. They do a lot of walking, and people are always saying, "Oh, walk, walk for thirty minutes a day." They actually don't do a lot of walking. They have the caddies driving them around. Oh, yeah. Guess that shows how much I know about golf. But they show them walking on TV. They don't show them in the little carts. No, on TV. I know. I'm just kidding. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like I don't. I don't know if that definition of exercise really does. Justice, or I mean, maybe it's just that you really have to look at what is actually providing, you know, some level of physical fitness. Mm-hmm. You know, because when they when they get down to the minutia of like calorie burning and stuff, they're just they're talking about things that you really can't consider like exercise. You know, yeah. I'm just thinking like, oh yeah, you know, I exercise because I um, do things around the house, and it's like I don't know if I would put that in the category of exercise.
0: Yeah, some people consider gardening exercise. Yeah. See, or some people will consider like walking a few blocks to the subway and back every day as exercise. And I don't know if I would count that either. But then other people take it to the extreme, like personal trainers, because they have a vested interest. They say unless you are huffing and puffing and sweating, then you're not exercising. Yeah. So I don't yeah. know, really.
2: Yeah. And I, I think that there has to be like, you know, because it's like anything that burns calories cannot be considered exercise, because the fact of the matter is, is if you're alive, you're burning calories. So it's like we need to have a definition that kind of goes a little bit beyond that, I think, because, mm-hmm. um, you know, breathing, sleeping, those things burn calories. So I don't think you can really call that Eating exercise. burns
0: calories. <laughs> well,
1: yeah, there you go. I, th- I think the yeah. weight... We'll it's it's kind of an ambiguous definition, or it's kind kind of an ambiguous term. I think exercises. Um, I don't know if if anyone really knows exactly how to define it. I would I would say a possible working definition is something which is uh, a stressor on the on the physical mm-hmm. body, which is sufficient to um, to evoke an adaptive response in some way, which is um, anabolic. Which means that it it, it, it it can rebuild tissue, it can promote the 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 rebuilding of muscle or the building of muscle, and likewise an adaptive response which can um, upregulate our capacity to use oxygen, yeah, mm. uh, upregulate our um, yeah our, our capacity to function optimally. And I wouldn't I wouldn't say that walking does that, yeah, mm, no. and so um again i don't (laughs) i I don't know where to draw the line there because i think lots of things do do that but at the same time um yeah it yeah it's kind of it's a bit gray
2: (laughs) yeah i think that you know if you put if you, you you say that like not all movement is necessarily exercise you know walking i would probably put into the movement category Rather, rather but than a power walking. <laughs> well, and also <laughs> it, it depends on the person, plan. right? Yeah. Because somebody who is really out of shape, you know, walking is exercise. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, I think a person who is in reasonably good condition, if they just go for a walk, that's not really, it's not a stressor, really.
0: It's more it's of an enjoyable activity.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Or a means from getting from point A to point B.
1: And it and it does have some benefits um, mm-hmm. in terms of like increasing insulin sensitivity or decreasing blood glucose. Like there are some research studies which show that getting up every sort of thirty minutes and walking around for two minutes, um, mm-hmm. because of the the increased demand of energy from the muscles in the legs. Um, typically what it does is it does reduce blood glucose and it does, you know, increase um, the rate of energy expenditure, but ultimately it, it's it's not a stressor. It doesn't mm-hmm. really have the same effect as something like um, lifting weights Push-ups. would have, yeah. yeah, or something like that.
3: Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting that, you know, this ec- word exercise is now becoming so popular and you know i mean maybe 50
0: years ago did was there this mad dash to go to a gym no back in the 60s actually they used to tell people shouldn't exercise very strenuous <coughs> <bad> for you <laughs> <laughs> especially if you're old now they're telling everybody yeah to start working out
3: yeah. so i think part of it is This is my speculation with, as Tiffany said, the rise of obesity and Mm -hmm. um, diabetes and juvenile diabetes, especially in children getting bigger. I think children are the growing fastest number of people being diagnosed with those types of diseases. Now, all of a sudden, doctors are recommending exercise Mm -hmm. instead of addressing the whole food pyramid issue that we've talked about so many times on the show.
2: And I think that a lot of that is coming from, because there's this, you know, you look at it this way, there's this um, obesity epidemic happening. And even before it was actually called an obesity epidemic, it was pretty obvious to a lot of people that a lot of people are getting bigger and there's a lot of chronic disease kind of happening. And it seems like, you know, all these big corporate big food kind of things like Coca-Cola and Pepsi and all these like, people who are basically peddling like, garbage poison as it were they've kind of glommed onto the whole exercise thing Mm -hmm. and they kind of like because you know their best interest is to have people to continue consuming their products so rather than say yeah you know uh sugar's kind of bad and people probably shouldn't be having it they're like no it's just that people aren't exercising enough you know and i think that this is actually um somewhat of a myth You know, everybody says, oh yeah, back in the day, we were a lot more active. And I mean, that might be true to a certain extent, but I don't know. It's not like people like your average person was doing vigorous exercise on a daily basis necessarily.
0: Mm -hmm. You know,
2: you think about there's certain jobs, maybe where, you know, farming or something like that, where there were periods of greater physical activity. But I don't think it was like, you know, 365 days a year, everybody was getting up and like working until they collapsed. (laughs) Um, so I think, I I think a lot of the, the, um, idea is actually just promulgated by people who don't want to confront the food issue.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And And that's, there's a lot to gain for people who actually work in the fitness industry. Uh, They have clients, they have bills to pay, they want to make money, so they're going to you know, if they don't see any results, they have somebody coming in and they're training them to <clears throat> help them lose weight by exercising and they don't see any results and so they're just gonna keep oh well um let's just try this different exercise. You're not <laughs> exercising hard enough or you need to exercise more days a week. Yeah. Or twice a day. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, so so if you look at like the average energy expenditure, like it, like Doug was saying, it, I mean, it is true that generally we live more sedentary lives and we were more active, but if you look at the amount of calories, um, it doesn't necessarily account for what we're seeing in the obesity epidemic today. It's like, yeah, we were, we were um, expending more calories, but generally what the research shows is that, um, as per my understanding, is that The body has quite tight limits on how much it expends and how much it consumes. And so if you spend more calories, um, it's very likely that you have mechanisms with your satiety and your hunger, which basically kick in and say, okay, we've spent more, so we need to eat more today. So Mm -hmm. it's, you know, maintaining that balance is quite tight. Um, And so just saying that, okay, we have sedentary lifestyles now Can that necessarily account for us getting really fat? Well, no, it probably can't. Um, And so you have to look at, okay, well, what else has changed? There is the activity part of it, but there's also the fact that now we have so many empty calories, um, you know, like the sugary drinks and whatnot. And what I find very interesting is is, is the, the fact that when you take out Um, nutrition from food, say for instance, you take out the nutrients from the sugar cane, um, and you, you put them into like a glass of Coke or something, and then someone drinks that, and, and really the body is adapted to, whenever it consumes energy, it also consumes a vast number of nutrients at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so for the body to be able to effectively process that energy, whether it be fat, protein or carbohydrate, you need micronutrients. So you need vitamins and you need minerals. And so, the, as I as I just said, whenever you would be consuming protein, fat or carbohydrate, you would also have an abundance of vitamins and minerals in the same pack. like the same food compartment and the problem is is what we've done is we've taken out all of those micronutrients but we keep all of the macronutrients and the problem with that is that I think the body also on some level can sense whether it is low on micronutrients and so I think this is one of the ways that might actually drive hunger is to say okay we need more vitamins and minerals so we need to eat more food and so people generally eat more food, but if that food is depleted of vitamins and minerals, then they continue eating because their body is craving these things, but mm-hmm. it's not actually getting them. And so I I don't know if that's been sort of um, verified in any studies, but I tend to think that that might, might actually be a part in this as well. Is the body craving what it actually needs but because it's so um, like depleted in our food supply that people just generally just keep eating, along with everything else, you know?
3: Mm. And the yeah. portion sizes are so much larger too
1: yeah.
0: of what people eat compared to about 50 years ago. And then with the ubiquitous nature of gyms being all around, people can just say, oh, well, I can eat like a pig right now and then I'll just work it off later today yeah yeah and i think that's
2: really that's really like the the detrimental kind of myth that surrounds this thing that exercise is all about um calorie burning and that it's a really very linear relationship so like if i eat too many calories now i can go to the gym and i can work it off later but things are 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 really not that simple it's much much more complicated than that and i think that's why you see people kind of on the treadmills like every day kind of thing and they're just not changing at all. It's like the, they, they don't, you don't see any kind of weight loss or anything in these people because it, it is a much more complicated picture than that.
0: Yeah. yeah. I, I think You can eat a get... half a muffin and that would be the amount of energy you would expend by yeah. walking on the treadmill for a while. Just a half yeah, a
1: muffin. If you,
2: if you drink a Coke, it's like, you've got to like, you have to exercise a lot to actually burn those calories.
1: Yeah, this is something that we need to really go through because this is like such a common misconception and even though the the science clearly does not um, back it up, it's still so ubiquitous, you know, it's so common for people to have this mindset that they can basically eat a really poor diet and then go and exercise it off but when you look at the amount of calories, like you just referenced uh, half a muffin, let's say in half a muffin you might have, say, 200 calories, and then you look at the amount of energy or the amount of exercise that you need to do on a treadmill to be able to offset that, it's like, (laughs) that's like half an hour's running, like (laughs) at a nice pace, you know? And you think, okay, how many calories does someone consume? Okay, average 2,000 to 2,500, so if, If you were to burn off all of the extra calories that you were eating, you'd have to be exercising for a very long time in the day. You wouldn't wouldn't have any time to do anything else. And so there are are other mechanisms at play here. And Mm -hmm. so what we really need to understand is that the main determinant of how much energy someone expends is the basal metabolic rate. Okay, so the basal metabolic rate basically accounts for all of the activities that your body is doing at rest. This means maintaining body temperature, this means keeping all of your organs working properly, this means maintaining the acid-base balance in your blood, this means all of the things that you're doing that you're not thinking about, okay? And so this is really what accounts for, you know, the vast majority of someone's energy expenditure in the daytime. And what determines how fast your basal metabolic rate is. Is really dependent on several factors one of them is your diet another one is various things like your organ functioning like for instance your thyroid gland um, if your thyroid gland is working properly that will determine the, the rate of your metabolism okay so this is why people with hypothyroid or underactive thyroid glands typically have lower basal metabolic rates and therefore they have more trouble losing weight than other people but what I think is really important to understand it in the in the context of exercise is muscle mass okay Mm -hmm. so the most other than the internal organs the most energy in um, hungry type of um, bodily uh, the part of your body that uses the most energy is your muscles okay so your muscles are the most metabolically active apart from the internal organs and so really how much muscle someone has like lean muscle mass is really the primary determinant of their metabolic rate and so the people with higher muscle mass burn more energy at rest okay and so if we look at just to keep it very simple if the if we look at what muscles use as fuel, muscles use fatty acids at rest okay so people talk about burning fat. The way to burn fat is to increase muscle mass. If you can increase muscle mass, then the the times when you're going to be losing the most weight is not when you're doing exercise. No, that's wrong. The times when you're going to be losing weight is when you're at rest. It's mm-hmm. it's 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 the idea that when you've got more muscle, this is going to use more fuel, and you're going to be tapping into your fat stores, you know, twenty four seven. And this is really what you want to be doing. And the problem is, is that when we look at these exercise gym bunnies who go and think that they can go and run you know do like you know jogging for half an hour or something we realize that that doesn't actually really affect the muscle mass and it can actually have the opposite of the intended effect mm-hmm. um and so i don't know if we want to go into that just yet but yeah well um well
2: we can go on into it
1: yeah i think we should go into
0: it later But oh, i have a question yeah. to pose since we were just talking about calories how does the human body burn calories anyway because there's been lots of studies like this type of food has that many calories and this other food has this many calories and they take the food and they put it in some contraption and they set it on fire and <laughs> something else and this is how they determine how much calories a food has but that is not how the human body works. We don't swallow a piece of hamburger and it ignites in flames in our stomach.
2: (laughs) We're steam powered.
0: Yeah, how's how's that work? Or I guess I just wanted to point that out. I'm not even (laughs) sure that the calories listed on a product is actually accurate. And if it is accurate, it doesn't say anything about how our body uses those particular calories.
1: Yes, yeah, certainly. Yeah. You're not a combustion engine, and so the experiments were done basically with like a microwave type thing. It wasn't a microwave, but it was like a you know like a little uh, metal box, and then it was the amount of energy that was given off when those those food things were combusted. Um, but the thing is, your 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 body is is not a combustion engine, and so really the rate at which your body can use those calories differs based on various different factors so one person might be able to consume um you know 2000 calories and burn off you know that amount in the daytime or whatever and then another person may consume 2000 calories but ultimately only burn off 1500 um, because of various things like their hormones and their mm-hmm. mitochondria, and whether they are stressed or not. You know, if they are under chronic stress, then this is going to downregulate their metabolism. So there are so many things that come into play here, um, and it's not to say that calories in and calories out doesn't, you know, isn't true because it is true on a, a very basic level. But in in human terms, when you're looking at things like in a real life example, there are multiple other things that go into play.
2: Yeah. And I think that the, the calorie myth is what kind of this whole thing, the whole gym culture kind of survives on, or the whole exercise culture, you know, not even narrowing it down to just gyms. It's kind of like this idea that everything is so simple and that a calorie is a calorie and whatever you take in, you have to expend more calories than you take in in order to lose weight. And it is a much more complicated picture than that.
0: Well, I wanna play devil's advocate here just for a little while because uh, Elliot, you mentioned things about um, your level of mitochondria and your hormones and stress. I think that, and I can use myself as an example, like when I was in my mid 20s, I lost a ton of weight. I was quite overweight at that time and I lost a ton of weight, like 150 pounds it took a long time though it took like almost two years (laughs) but Mm -hmm. this was just through modifying my diet it was still a standard american diet but it wasn't like a bunch of junk food and fast food i still ate like wheat and carbs and all that stuff and sugar sometimes i ate like low fat stuff too (laughs) (laughs) but i also exercised five or six probably six times a week and I did like walking at first and then jogging and then I would lift weights and it worked and it works for a lot of people but I think that the only reason that it worked is because I was young and I probably still had a lot of reserves my hormones weren't quite as jacked up as maybe an older person's hormones would be, and maybe I had more mitochondria, because I've tried the same things at my age now, which is my mid-40s, and I can actually exercise and gain weight now, but I certainly won't lose any weight, but a lot of young people I know, like people who are young in my family, they decide, oh, I want to lose weight, and they'll still eat crap, and they'll just exercise, and then it falls out falls off, all the weight falls off, and then when they're older, they try the same thing and it doesn't work. So I think that age plays a part in it, and I think hormonal status plays a part in it too. But another thing you said, Elliot, um, during that time when I was younger and I was exercising, there was pretty much absolutely no change in body composition. So can you talk a little bit about like some detrimental things of overexercising?
1: Uh, yeah. Like, well- uh,
0: muscle deterioration?
1: Yeah, well this is this is the key thing as well, because if you look at um, typically someone who does lots of exercise, uh, usually cardio, and they go on some sort of weight loss diet, or they might even just eat similar things, and they do lose weight, but mm-hmm. we have to qu- qualify what that weight is, first of all, because um, the problem is it's fairly easy to lose weight. But to lose fat is a different thing altogether, because what you find is that many of the weight loss studies, um, a lot of the weight is actually muscle mass. Okay. Yeah, when so... people
0: think of losing weight, what they really mean is losing fat, mm-hmm. yeah. but they just use the word weight.
1: Yeah, and so someone can um, can kind of look like they've lost a lot of fat, but actually, Their body composition may actually still be quite poor in Mm -hmm. terms of, um, uh, yeah, their fat to muscle ratio. So, uh, you know, ideally, if you were to lose weight in a healthy way, you would want most of it to be fat. Um, Unfortunately, many of the chronic exercise regimes and things, they actually promote muscle mass wastage. Um, and so, let's go into, like, what might happen. So, typically, if someone thinks that it's a healthy thing to go jogging for, like, I don't know, two hours every day, six days a week, or something, oh, and you see quite a lot of these people, you know. When I go for my walks in the evening, I see these people who are overweight, and they're all sweaty, and they're running, and they've probably been running for, like, two hours. And they do this regularly, because they think that this is going to help. But the problem is, is that, when you put your body under a stressor like that, because that is a stressor, um, especially if someone's overweight, when you put your body under a stressor, you initiate the release of stress hormones. And one of those stress hormones is called cortisol. And what cortisol does is it's designed to basically mobilize energy, and that's quick energy. And so what it really does is it breaks down your muscle mass. Um, And so you may see that if you look at, Uh, endurance athletes you know long distance runners marathon runners or if you go to a marathon and you look at the people you see that many of them are kind of stick thin and you know many of them look gaunt, and they're skinny fat really yeah skinny fat basically and so um i think that this is what this is due to is is the over reliance or the chronic excess of stress hormones because when someone goes on like a two hour or three hour run and um, that's quite a stressful thing for the body and it needs some time to adapt to that and to recover from that and the problem is is these people are doing it all of the time sort of six mm-hmm. times a week and so there's a chronic chronically elevated level of cortisol and this has been shown in the studies is that these people have chronically elevated levels of, of stress hormones running through their bodies and so these stress hormones they they break down the muscle mass Um, And that has all sorts of, I mean, the the cortisol, the stress hormones have all sorts of other consequences, particularly for things like immunity and whatnot. But what you find is that these people are breaking down muscle, but the cause or the effect that it has on fat is that it liberates fat from the periphery. So it liberates subcutaneous fat and it actually promotes the deposition of fat around the abdomen and the visceral organs. So there's this idea of being skinny fat, whereby someone has practically no muscle mass, but they've got fat around their belly. Um, Mm. And this can actually be caused by chronic cardio exercise, Um, you know, going for, you know mad amounts of jogging and running and all of this kind of stuff and generally I don't think it's very good for health now I think that this differs between the different types of uh, ethnicities so for instance if you're if you're speaking to an Ethiopian the chances are they're going to be very um, well equipped to to deal with that and still be in a healthy state and I think it has to do with their mitochondria um, their ability to convert energy into ATP Uh, To be used and generally they have a much better um, capacity to do that than uh, Caucasian people do or people from other areas of the world and so, um Yeah, it can be really quite problematic on a hormonal front in terms of um, You know improving health measures Mm -hmm. Does that does that make sense?
0: yeah And it definitely points to the more is not better Uh, people think like if I exercise, yeah, if I exercise 60 minutes, it's much better than exercising for 30 minutes, but actually you reach a plateau, like after a certain amount of time, you're just not going to burn any more energy and that's just the way it is.
2: You're still burning the energy.
0: Yeah, but... but it's not more benefit, I should say.
2: Right. Because I think, and maybe this might explain partly what was going on with you, Tiff, and why you can mm-hmm. no longer kind of exercise to to lose weight, um, is that the body kind of adjusts. Mm-hmm. So if you start expending large amounts of energy by uh, exercising, um, the body actually will defend um, how much. And Elliot was talking about this before too, about how much, how like it's like there's a there's a certain level that it's willing to kind of burn, and it actually adjusts. By um, lowering the um, basal metabolic rate, but also by um, burning less energy um, in other ordinary things, so usually it's like you're burning energy even while you're like fidgeting or you know moving around these kind of spontaneous physical activities um, that your body will do. Well, what they found is that people who actually do these kind of, like a lot of exercise at any given time, they will do less of these other things. So it's Mm -hmm. like your body wants to conserve calories and will do it by these kind of, by lessening these unconscious movements and things like that. And you'll actually just be less active outside of that exercise time. So it's like people will be maybe more likely to come home from the gym and just kind of, you know, take a nap or like uh, lay on the couch and watch TV or something like that. Whereas, you know, before they might have like, you know, done stuff around the house or cleaned or, you know, gone for a walk or whatever the case may be. Um, So it might be just that you kind of like your body got to a place where it was like not, not, you know, it was used to kind of being um, more sedentary outside of the exercise. Mm -hmm. So then when you kind of went back to exercising, it was kind of like already like, well, no, I'm not gonna give up any, any energy here or the energy I give up here, I will um, make up for in other ways.
0: Yeah, well, I, I did know. a lot of exercise every day for years. And then eventually mm-hmm. I just started feeling like crap, like achy. When I wake up in the morning, I was only in my thirties at that point. I was like, I gotta stop. And I was really fearful that I would gain weight because I stopped going to the gym and I didn't. I lost weight. <laughs>
2: no kidding. <laughs> I well, lost the other thing weight. is too that apparently, you know, all this idea of like burning calories and like, you know, oh I burned this many calories today, so you know, I'm I'm at a net calorie deficit. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is is that exercise actually makes you hungry or most people anyway that's not it's not necessarily everybody like apparently (laughs) there are people out there and exercise actually makes them less hungry but a lot of people will actually be made more hungry by exercising so they don't necessarily notice that they're actually eating more to make up for that calorie deficit but they do Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so it might have been that while exercising it's kind of you were making up for it and then when you stopped exercising it's like there was nothing
1: to make up for anymore so your body just kind of adjusted and you lost weight <laughs> there, there's <laughs> another thing that I I don't I don't know if there's any research on it I haven't been able to find any or I haven't come across any but another thing which would make sense and I know that some uh, proponents of this kind of idea um do exist and this is the idea that if we look at fat tissue um, typically it's, it's the depot, or it's the storage site for toxic um, fat-soluble substances. So for instance, if the liver, you know, we come into contact with like plastics and whatnot, and these are really toxic, and if the liver can't deal with that for whatever reason, then a safe place to put it is the fat tissue, and this is the same as mercury as well, and other heavy metals, they get stored in the adipose. And this is like quite a safe way for the body to store it because it doesn't really come across is not too metabolically active and it there's not much circulation to that area and so it's not likely to get into systemic circulation and then to the organs and cause serious damage so the idea is is that perhaps the body Um, If it determines that it can't deal or it can't detoxify various things um, and someone goes on like a a real intensive exercise uh, regime with like a crash diet kind of thing, really low calorie, um, then they lose lots of weight, but it gets to a point where they plateau and they can't lose any more. and. I I think it would make sense that if the body determines that the liver can't deal with the toxicity it is going to select for more fat tissue it's going to want to keep the fat to keep the toxins stored away to protect it to protect the rest of the body and so this is why I think that really any fat loss diet or any weight loss diet needs to be so nutrient dense and I think that anyone Um, You know, if someone comes to me and they want to lose weight, I would also try to support their liver with various... Uh, liver-supporting nutrients because I think that when someone does lose weight they are going to be releasing so much more toxicity into their system that they really need a way to get rid of that and the the problem may present itself as that if they do start releasing all of the stuff into the bloodstream and the liver can't deal with it then that could lead to further things down the line Um, and I think that may be a factor as well.
2: Mm -hmm. Well that's interesting because There was a study done out of Toronto, out of York University, and what they found in it was that people who were exercising as much and eating the same amount of calories in the 1980s were actually heavier and maintaining a higher weight than they are today. So if you had a counterpart in the 1980s who was like eating the same amount as you and exercising the same amount as you, they would actually be like lighter or like you know less fat than they are today so mm. it's interesting because there there was this article um on that we had on sock called why we have to work harder today to avoid weight gain compared to 30 years ago and they're speculating in the article i mean this doesn't come from the study it's just the author kind of speculating about it but they were saying things like chemical chemical exposure altered gut environment prescription antidepressant use stress sleep and light exposure, uh, exposure electromagnetic fields, like these kinds of things might actually be influencing things in such a way that we can no longer lose weight as easily as we previously did. So it just mm-hmm. it brought that to mind because you were talking about the toxicity there, uh, Elliot.
3: Elliot, I have a question for you. Would you recommend for people to do detoxification protocols like uh, infrared, um sauna blankets or even doing sweating to clear those toxins from the body as a way to kind of deal with that issue.
1: Is is that during weight loss?
3: Yeah, like if somebody wanted to go on a weight loss regime, so to speak, do you think that doing sauna blankets or even a sauna to stimulate sweating would help detoxify the system and, and then be able to deal with the issues that you just brought up.
1: Yeah, totally that's exactly what i'd recommend because like you have to factor in that there is going to be so much of a burden um there have been cases where people have gone on like crash diets lost loads of weight and then suddenly been diagnosed with like chronic fatigue syndrome or fibromyalgia or something um and i think that that is probably because of that sheer amount of toxicity that they are sort of exposing their body to so during a weight loss protocol i think definitely you would want to go hard on like the infrared blankets and the epsom salt baths i you know i always emphasize you know two to three epsom salt baths every um every week but also maybe some liposomal glutathione with milk thistle and the various methylated b vitamins to really improve the methylation pathway and all of the other detoxification systems and stuff yeah i think that that would definitely help anyone um who's trying to lose weight certainly Mm -hmm.
0: So, exercise <laughs> <Well, laughs> is baloney. Well, mostly. Well, in is some it? cases. I think it's all individual. I don't mean to be. Uh, yeah, I think it's, it's baloney, but it depends. I think,
2: it has, I think it's the type of exercise.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, and I yeah. think it's like, you know, Elliot was basically saying that, uh, you know, building muscle mass seems to be kind of the the key and like Mm -hmm. working on things that will, and rather than focusing on calories, which is, I think that's the baloney part, Yeah. like, you know, focusing on burning calories, whereas, I mean, you know, they have shown different things like, you know, exercise is very beneficial for different things like uh, uh, insulin resistance and heart health, and there's all kinds of, of things that they have shown that exercise is very beneficial for. And I think the that you know the the type of exercise is really where that comes into play. Like I think maybe running running marathons, mm. getting on the treadmill all the time, you know, trying to to count your calories and and burn those off. it's like that's that's the baloney part of it.
0: Yeah, but the unfortunate part is a lot of these uh, newspaper stories that come out touting the latest fad or some benefit of exercise they still seem to focus a lot on endurance and cardio exercise versus weightlifting. And if the main benefit is building the muscle so you can have that increase in uh, mitochondria and increased insulin sensitivity, I think the emphasis really should be on weightlifting, not on Mm -hmm. like being on the treadmill or the elliptical machine for 45 minutes a day.
2: Yeah. And I think that's directly related to the fact that people are still steeped in that calorie idea. Mm-hmm, it's kind right. of like they see they see exercise being beneficial, and that because they're looking at it in such a simplistic manner, they're like, "Oh yeah, it's about burning calories." Mm-hmm. And it's really, I mean, that's the, it is in a sense, but it's more about adjusting your basal metabolic rate more than anything else.
1: Yeah, and and like I think it comes down to choosing your stresses as well. Like you know, going for a run or something. If that's something that one that you find enjoyment in, you know, it promotes your psychological well-being and your emotional being. The emotional well-being, and some people find that it's a really good way to de-stress. Then I think that's fantastic, and you know, it's it's good um, for lots of other different things. But ultimately, it's not going to effectively. Um, do the things that it's purported to do, and I think the problem, like Doug said, is that it's all of the stuff that surrounds, um, that surrounds the idea of what it does, um, and and the problem I think the thing that we have to also look at is the the effects that it has on the joints and on the um, on the on the bones, because the problem is is that if you look at the structure of the foot. And, and the osteopathic medical model and sort of, um, I think the chiropractors talk about this as well, is that the foot was really designed to, to, to uh, operate on, on a kind of terrain which is uh, uneven and so that is the best way that the foot really functions and the foot ultimately uh, influences the way that every other joint in the body and all of the other muscles are aligned and so what we do is when we put on trainers and we're running on concrete it inevitably is putting a lot of stress onto our ankles onto our knees onto our hips and things and so um i think the problem is is that (laughs) uh we we are potentially doing a lot of damage when we go for you know these long runs and things um with with the shoes with the concrete and whatnot Um, Mm. and i think these things are really overlooked but when we look at something like okay let's look at insulin resistance or let's look at obesity so the idea was or the you know the old ideas were that yeah you do your cardio exercise and this is gonna help you lose weight but when we actually look at what factors into weight loss or fat loss um uh fat loss particularly we have to really look at the metabolic features of that and then look at the metabolic features of various types of exercise and so like Tiff was just saying it's about increasing the muscle mass um and if you can effectively increase m- help to um, improve um, I- improve the amount of, of energy that you're expending. Can you still hear me? Yes. You
3: yeah, kind of, you right, kind of right, have went out for... for yeah.
1: yeah. Yes, sorry about that. Um, so, right, so let's look at... Weightlifting, for instance, or let's look at how to increase your muscle mass. Well, to increase muscle mass, you need to have energy, okay? You need to have amino acids, you need to have uh, glucose, okay? This is how you build muscle. And how do you get those things into the muscle? Well, the muscle needs to have very good insulin sensitivity, okay? Because insulin is what transports glucose into muscles, okay? And so what is the best way to increase muscle insulin sensitivity? It's to deplete that muscle of energy. Because if we look at what governs insulin sensitivity, like there's these ideas floating around, and I think they're really misunderstood, is that insulin, for those who don't know, insulin is the hormone which basically transports glucose into a cell, okay, for it to be used. And insulin resistance is correlated with obesity and whatnot and um, this is a big problem in in today's society and the idea is is that insulin somehow uh, the cells become desensitized to insulin so insulin can no longer affect its um, you know have an effect on the cells but now we know that that is not technically true Um, what it is is that cells Uh, only accept energy when they need energy. Okay, and what we see is in obesity and in diabetes, the cells effectively have too much energy. And so when a cell has too much energy, it actually, uh, through various mechanisms, it, it declines the action of insulin. Insulin comes along and the cell's not desensitized to it. No, the cell says, okay, we know that you're here insulin and we know that there's glucose, but we can't take any more of it okay we can't do anything with that glucose so you know what we don't actually need you that is what insulin resistance is and so by putting the muscles under intense stress so for instance you're lifting a really heavy weight what you do is you deplete all of the glucose in that in that cell and then you effectively trigger a message which says, okay, insulin, you can come along now and we need the glucose. Okay, we, we need that energy because we've been depleted of it. When you get the energy into the cell, then you can activate all sorts of other Um, mechanisms which effectively lower blood glucose, promote fat loss and increase muscle mass and the more muscle that you build the more you deplete that muscle the more blood glucose or the more glucose that you can sweep up from the blood and so if you look at the research I know that that was a really long-winded explanation but what I'm trying to say is that if you look at the research um, hands down the best Um, The best exercise technique for weight loss and for type 2 diabetes and various other metabolic conditions is, hands down, weightlifting. And this is intense weightlifting. This is weightlifting to failure because of the mechanisms that have just been described. Okay, it's quite complex. Uh, Doug McGrath got, does a good job of explaining it in Body by Science, and there's some really good papers on it. But ultimately, all you need to understand is that if you could deplete your cells of energy, then they are going to use energy more fa- uh, faster, and they are going to effectively um, increase the rate at which you burn fat. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so speaking to of... Up... Oh, go ahead,
2: Doug. Um, I was going to say, do we want to play our clip? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Okay, here
4: we go. We have this idea that if we want to lose weight, we join a gym on January 1st, we start working out regularly, and eventually we slim down. (coughs) Well, here's some bad news.
5: I read more than 60 studies on this, and it turns out exercise is actually pretty useless when it comes to weight loss.
4: Dr. Kevin Hall at the National Institutes of Health has done some of the most important studies on exercise and weight loss. That we need to rebrand exercise. Exercise isn't a weight loss tool, per se. It's excellent for health. It's probably the best single thing that you can do other than stopping smoking to improve your health. Um, but don't look at it as a weight loss tool. Exercise will definitely help you live a longer, happier life. It's just not the best way to lose weight. And the reason it has to do with how our bodies use energy.
5: You may not realize it, but physical activity is actually a tiny component of your daily energy burn.
4: There are three main ways our bodies burn calories.
5: These include your resting metabolism, so that's how much energy your body burns just for its basic functioning, just to keep you alive, basically. The other part of energy expenditure is a thermic effect of food, and that's just how much energy is required to break food down in your body. The third part of energy expenditure is physical activity.
4: For most people, physical activity, that's any movement you do, only accounts for about 10 to 30% of energy use.
5: So the vast majority of energy, or calories you burn every day, comes from your basal or resting metabolism, over which you have very little control.
4: While 100% of your calories in are up to you, only about 30% of your calories out are in your control. One study found that if a 200 pound man ran for an hour, four days a week, for a month, he'd lose about five pounds at most, assuming everything else stays the same. And everything else doesn't stay the same.
5: Researchers have found we make all kinds of behavioral and physiological adaptations when we start increasing the amount of exercise we're getting every day.
4: For one thing, exercise tends to make people hungry.
5: And I'm sure you know the feeling. You you go for a spinning class in the morning, and then by the time you eat breakfast, you're so hungry, you maybe double the size of the portion of oatmeal you'd normally eat.
4: There's also evidence to suggest that some people simply slow down after a workout.
5: So if you went running in the morning, you might be less inclined to take the stairs at work.
4: These are called compensatory behaviors. They're basically the various ways we unknowingly undermine our workouts.
5: Researchers have also discovered a phenomenon called metabolic compensation. As people start to slim down, their resting metabolism can slow down. So the amount of energy you burn while at rest is lower. That means that this bar might shrink as you start to lose weight.
4: There's still a lot of research to be done, but one study from 2012 is particularly interesting.
5: They went out into the middle of the savanna in Tanzania to measure the energy burn among a group of hunter-gatherers called the Hadza.
4: These are super active, lean hunter-gatherers. They're not spending their days behind a computer at a desk.
5: And what they found was shocking.
4: What we found is there was no difference at all. So even
0: though
2: the Hadza have a much more physically active lifestyle, they weren't burning any more calories every day
1: than adults in the U.S. and Europe.
4: Somehow, the energy they used for physical activity was being offset or conserved elsewhere. So, how do they stay slim? They don't overeat.
5: We can undo the calories that we burn off and exercise pretty quickly. It would take about an hour of running to burn off a Big Mac and fries. You'd have to spend about an hour dancing pretty vigorously to burn off three glasses of wine you might drink with dinner. An hour of cycling really intensely on exercise bikes to burn off about two donuts.
4: And that's why exercise is best seen as a healthy supplement for a strategy that's focused on food. But despite extremely high obesity rates in the U.S., government agencies continue to present exercise as a solution, as do companies with a real interest in making sure we keep eating and drinking their products.
5: Since the 1920s, companies like Coca-Cola have been aligning themselves with the exercise message. The idea here is that you can drink all these extra bottles of soda as long as you work out. But as we're seeing, it doesn't work like that. Actually burning off those extra calories from a can of soda is really really hard. Today. We have an obesity problem in this country and we shouldn't treat low physical activity and eating too many calories as equally responsible for it. Public health policymakers should really prioritize improving our food environment to help people make healthier choices about what they eat.
4: It's not impossible to lose weight through exercise, it's just a lot harder, and we need to recognize how that works. If you do go to the gym, you burn all these calories, it takes you a long time to do so, and you put in a great amount of effort, you can erase all of that in five minutes of eating a slice of pizza. Um, it's it, relative magnitude is, is actually quite surprising, and most people don't fully appreciate that.
0: was a good so summary
5: go. of, of every
2: points we made yeah we should have just played that from the get-go and had a fun no. show
0: <laughs> <laughs> so exercise is for building muscles and for other health benefits but if you want to lose weight you have to focus on diet either what you eat or what you don't eat and maybe the emphasis should be on what you don't eat because another good way to increase your insulin sensitivity is by fasting intermittently or in other ways.
3: We're also the, as I was saying earlier, the portion size, but Mm -hmm. also it like in Okinawa, they practice what's called Harihachibu, where you only eat uh, till about 80% full instead Mm. of (laughs) <laughs> really going overboard till you're hundred percent full and bloated. So not
0: eating as much. Mm-hmm. I think. But well, this brings me to another question. I think the overeating plays a big part in it, and the uh, plethora of junk food that's widely, inconveniently available. Because in the olden days, and I'm just talking about like before the 1960s, maybe. <laughs> people did not exercise. They didn't lift weights and put on muscle mass so they could be more insulin sensitive. And it's not like they were like super buff. People think like, oh, if I'm gonna go to the gym and exercise and lift weights, I wanna like really have some big, you know, flashy muscles. But um, people in the olden days didn't do all that exercise and they were still thinner and healthier. So I guess it comes down mostly to the food you can probably get away with not exercising at all as long as you don't make yourself metabolically deranged by eating a lot of crap
2: yeah i think that's true mm-hmm. and uh there was um a doctor who works for the nhs um malhotra is his last name but i don't remember his first name dr malhotra um, and he was quoted as saying that exercise doesn't make one iota of difference <laughs> when it comes to like weight loss and uh, type two diabetes, insulin sensitivity, that sort of thing.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: and i think I think there's a lot to that. I think that uh, exercise is like I don't think it's useless because there are a lot of benefits to it, and obviously, movement is absolutely necessary. We need to move. Mm-hmm. but um the idea that you can solve. The problems caused by a bad diet through exercise is extremely misguided.
0: Yeah. And I think that exercise has a place, not necessarily in being significant in helping you lose weight, but maybe in maintaining the weight that you are satisfied with and you want to increase your muscle mass to make yourself more... Uh, insulin sensitive and maybe you know cause some genetic changes in your muscles also but if you want to affect like major change in your physique exercise is not going to get it yeah but there was another article that we were reading for this show about mind over matter and how there are certain experiments that they ran with people and they had them to just imagine exercising themselves. They put them in a fake cast so they couldn't really uh, move their arms, but they had them imagine working their arms and spend some time doing this every single day. And at the end of the experiment, the people who imagined exercising had muscular changes, that the people who did not imagine exercising, they didn't have any. So, you can even think about working out of it. (laughs) and you can gain some muscle. It'll be the new fitness trend.
2: (laughs) Yeah. The imaginative workout. about it. (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, there's lots of, uh, well, I don't know if they've actually done studies, but I I think they have, but there's a lot of anecdotal kind of stuff too about it. Like a lot of athletes, you know, will be kind of prescribed to think about their... Um, Sport, And I know like one example I can think of is where they, there there was a guy who was a coach for golfers and actually, you know, would have them improving their swing, um, not necessarily by getting out there and practicing over and over again, but actually thinking about it and picturing themselves, you know, hitting the ball exactly the way it needs to be hit and, you know, the perfect drive or whatever, and that they would actually um, improve by doing that. So mm-hmm. I, there's something to it. There is, uh, I, I think, I really do think that there is something to it. Now, I don't know that you can necessarily, there, you know, just um, replace the actual practice or the actual exercise with thinking about it. Mm-hmm. But, um,
0: yeah, I think you would have to have the there. experience of exercising in order to better visualize it.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yeah.
3: But
0: speaking of exercising, I also wanted to see if we could talk about delayed onset muscle soreness just briefly because I've had some pretty debilitating muscle soreness after working out like not just oh yeah I feel like I did some bicep curls yesterday but like oh my god I can't walk yeah that to me is not natural but I've read an article where it says that if you're sore after exercising, it's okay to exercise more, but that kind of flies in the face of the whole uh, exercise and then rest and rebuild. So, what do you guys think? I'll share
3: just a little bit. Being teaching yoga and practicing myself, and definitely have had sore muscles. And from the research that I've done is. Especially with stretching, quote unquote, that you acquire micro tears in the muscles, mm-hmm. and that, um, you know, maybe the next day you don't do such an intense stretching regime. So, something like restorative yoga, where you are in positions for longer and you're resting and you're breathing and you are getting the fascia moving in a sense and also, you know, stimulating the lymphatic system, as somebody said in our chat, but not overdoing it. And, you know, you really see that in the yoga world with this intense core power or all these fitness type yoga practices. And I think that really takes away from a lot of the the benefits of doing Mm -hmm. yoga. So having sore muscles, you know, I've definitely felt like you, where you feel like you've gotten hit by a bus. Mm-hmm. And I've also hurt myself and had sustained injuries for months at a time from overdoing it. So I think with anything, especially in the practice of yoga or dance or Pilates or any of these other new kind of, I mean, they're not new, but they're new to gyms or, or popular, I should say, is to have a, a balanced approach to it.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it's it's kind of it dependent on the type of exercise that you're doing, too. Because mm-hmm. I think if somebody is doing, you know, bicep curls or something like that, where they're isolating kind of one muscle group and they're working that one to exhaustion or whatever, and then they have a lot of pain, you know, the next day or the next couple of days, then going and doing more bicep curls maybe wouldn't be the best thing to do because mm-hmm. they probably would benefit from resting and um, allowing that muscle to, to repair but I think if somebody's doing something that's a more of a functional movements where they're using multiple muscles and you know they get some soreness in a certain area I think to exercise you know in that case like doing I guess I'm thinking of like um, I used to do CrossFit and CrossFit you know they always said you know you don't have to have a rest day every single time you do a workout Like you can, you know, work out four times a week or something like that if you want to. And I found that to be the case that it wasn't, you know, it was the case where I could, you know, go four times a week and I was okay. It wasn't like um, I was really kind of killing myself. And I think that's because they were more functional movements where you're doing movements that aren't isolating particular muscle groups. And it's kind of a more holistic workout maybe.
0: I think some of that depends too on diet because I've noticed the higher in carbs my diet is and if I try to like lift really heavy weights, I will get much more sore than if I'm on low to no carbs.
2: So yeah, I could see that. Yeah. I don't
0: know, maybe my muscles, like if I'm eating too many carbs, they're still full of I don't know. I can't figure out why.
2: But anyway, this well, it is might what just I'm be gonna. the fact that using um, carbohydrate metabolism is more inflammatory in general. Yeah. So, by you know, whenever you're kind of injuring the muscle, which you do anytime you're building it, um, by eating an inflammatory diet or a more inflammatory diet, um, you're gonna feel it more. Mm-hmm. That's just speculation on my part, but that could be.
3: I definitely experienced that with eating too many carbs and joint pain, Mm -hmm. Mm. knees, big toe, even. (laughs) The gout. The gout. (laughs) The gout. (laughs) Um, Even, um, you know, people that have, who are older, who have chronic arthritis. Mm -hmm. I, I have a lot of clients like that who do yoga, who, oh, I just have this chronic arthritic, oh, I've been drinking a lot of wine, I've been eating a lot of sugar, you know, so Mm -hmm. I do think that that has an effect on people, whether or not they're aware of it.
2: Yeah, I think that's the case for sure.
0: Well, it seems like we've uh, exhausted this topic. (laughs) Uh, We do have a pet health segment. Um... Let's see, what is this pet health segment, what is this pet health segment about? I guess we'll see. It'll be a surprise.
2: (laughs) Surprise.
0: (laughs) The animal brain.
6: (laughs) Hello, and welcome to the pet health segment of the Health and Wellness Show. Many of you probably heard that once human brains were larger, and that they have been shrinking throughout the human history, and apparently animal brains have been shrinking too. Before you make any assumptions regarding the possible reasons, listen to the following recording about a recent research into the matter, as its findings may surprise you. Here it is. This video was sponsored by Twenty Three and Me. Hi, this is Emily from Minute Earth. Domestication has puppified dogs, fluffified sheep, and spotified horses. But there's a less obvious physical change that virtually all domesticated animals share. Shrunken brains. Duck brains have shrunk by about 15%, cat brains by 30 and pig brains by a whopping 35%. We've even found smaller brains in farmed trout. Which is weird because, in general, the size of animals' brains and the size of their bodies is super tightly linked. Mites have smaller brains than ants, which have smaller brains than mice, which have smaller brains than elephants, and so on. The same relationship exists for individuals within species. So for example, small wolves have smaller brains than big wolves, and small dogs have smaller brains than big dogs. But when you compare wolves and dogs, between individuals of the same size, the wolves have bigger brains, no matter what that body size is. What's more, across different domesticated animals, a disproportionate amount of the shrinkage happened in parts of the brain that monitor information from the outside world and tell animals when and how to freak out, sort of like the brain's panic button. We know that in general, animals with bigger panic buttons have a more sensitive fight or flight response, and animals with smaller panic buttons are naturally tamer. So those are the ones we probably would have tried to domesticate. And by breeding the tamest animals with each other, we shrunk their panic buttons, and therefore their brains, even further. In short, domesticated animals have formed long-term partnerships with humanity by literally losing their minds. Those are some shrunken
2: brain (laughs)
0: <laughs> took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> okay, well, I guess that's our show for today. And I hope we didn't discourage anyone from exercising. And by exercising, we mean lift weights. So yep. continue to exercise. If you want to jog every once in a while or take a walk or do something, it's best to do it. Yeah, it's best to do it in nature. Just consider it a nice, pleasurable activity, but it's not necessarily exercise. That's
3: so It's good for your brain, though.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can uh, improve your mood. You can get some stronger bones when you lift weights. You'll be more flexible, perhaps. You'll improve your insulin sensitivity. Um, you'll change the functioning of your genes. So exercising is good for you. So I guess we will see you guys uh, next week for another show that is yet to be named. You can check out the Truth Perspective on Saturday and Newsreel on Sunday. So thanks for listening. Thanks to all the chatters, And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye,
2: everybody.